I think there's some faith in the room today. That makes a big difference. You know that, right? It makes a big difference the way you listen. Jesus said you know, on more than one occasion, take heed how you hear. Take heed, not a word we use much anymore. It just simply means pay attention. And what's he saying? Pay attention to how you pay attention. Pay attention to how much attention you're giving. And he's talking about to his word. Pay attention to the way you pay attention. You and I both know that it's possible for the words that come out of your mouth to hit another person's eardrums without them really, really listening or getting what you're saying. We've all experienced that. You know what it's like. If you've had teenagers, you know what it's like. I pastored teenagers for six years, and I know what it's like sometimes to talk, and they're looking at you. It's like the lights are on, but you're wondering, is anybody home? That wasn't always that way, and not with all of them. But you know what it's like to talk, and, and it seems like the words are just kind of bouncing off their ears. When I first started to learn to play guitar, I suffered from what I call guitar face. And if you don't know what guitar face is, then you've never tried to talk to somebody while they play guitar. Because if they're playing while you're talking, they are not listening to you. And they just kind of give you that, that deep, empty stare. It also... Uh, applies to husbands when they're watching television. I'm telling you, this invention that has come about in our lifetime, the ability to pause live TV, it's saving marriages all over the world. <laughs> you know what it's like. Come on, ladies, help me out. You know what it's like. You've got something you want to say, and the game is on, and he's watching, and you come in the room, and his head turns towards you, but his eyes never leave the screen. <laughs> And you're talking and he's going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you're like, what did I just say? <laughs> he says, uh-huh. What's wrong? TV face. He's not paying attention to how he's paying attention. <laughs> Jesus, say, Jesus said, pay attention to how you pay attention. And the way you and I attend unto the word, like we've already talked about today, if we'll put value on it, we'll get more out of it. Amen. Didn't Sarah do an awesome job last Sunday? That was tremendous. Uh, one of the first and only times I've ever been able to watch our own church live. I was out on the East Coast preaching in North Carolina. Of course, a couple of hours ahead there. So when we got done with church, you guys were just getting started. So I jumped on and I watched the whole thing. And I just thought everybody did such an awesome job. What an anointed message. It was the right word and exactly what we needed to hear. And I actually want to continue on with what she started last week. I believe the Lord's wanting to continue to talk to us along those same lines. So open your Bibles with me again to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to keep going in this series that we began several weeks ago, What's Right With You? You need to find out what's right with you. Somebody say, there's something right with me. And there is, it's true, there's something right with you, and it's right with you right now. And like we've already said, people live with this constant and acute awareness of everything that's wrong with them. If you were to ask somebody, hey, what's up, what's wrong, you okay? 
Most people could give you a laundry list of everything that's not right. Everything that's not right with them, either physically, pain in the body, pain in the soul, the heart, pain mentally, financially, relationally, things that are wrong in any and every area of life. But as believers, we need to, instead of magnifying the things that are wrong with us, we've got to find out what's right with us and begin to magnify what's right with us. Because if you'll find out what's right with you, it'll fix what's wrong with you. Magnifying what's wrong with you has never served to fix what's wrong with you. It can't do it. But when you find out what's right with you, it'll fix anything that's wrong with you. And here in 2 Corinthians 5 is where we find out there is something right with us. In verse 17, you've heard it before. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what is he? A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. You could say it like this. God was not holding your sin against you. If God was holding sin against us, man, we would be in a world of hurt. There'd be no hope for us if he was holding sin against us. But he's not. He's not holding sin against us. And David in the Old Testament, standing in the office of the prophet, looking forward to the day that you and I were living in, he said it like this, Blessed is the man to whom God does not impute his sin. That person is blessed, the one that God doesn't hold it against him. It's impossible to have a good relationship with somebody who won't let stuff go. It is impossible to build any kind of thriving fellowship and relationship with somebody if they are constantly bringing stuff up. If they're constantly bringing up your past and what you did and what you messed up in and everything you said wrong. And even if it happened decades ago, they, they seem to find a way to work it into the conversation. And it's impossible to have a real thriving relationship with somebody who won't let it go. Aren't you glad God is somebody who won't let it... Did I say that wrong? Aren't you glad God's not somebody who won't let it go? He let it go. He's not holding it against you. You got to understand the power of the blood of Jesus. And when we repent, it restores that relationship. He said... Uh, God was in Christ, verse 19, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we're ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us on Christ, uh, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, here's what's right with you. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is what's right with you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. And that word righteous is just kind of an old English word. It just simply means right. You see it in other translations like this. New Living says it this way. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right 
with God through Christ. And the Amplified Classic says, Through him we might become the righteousness of God, what we ought to be, approved and acceptable and in right relationship with him by his goodness. How did we get back into this right relationship with him? Was it by your goodness? Was it by you doing something right? Well, think about how it all started. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. He had to be made sin. It wasn't because he sinned that he went to the cross. He had to be made that way. Well, you and I weren't called righteous because of all the righteous things we did. We had to be made, or I like to say it like this, remade. How did you become the righteousness of God? You were reborn that way. It's your new nature. It's your new DNA. You were reborn the righteousness of God in Christ. You were made right with him. You were approved. And he says you have been restored to a right relationship with God. And the way we got that way was we were reborn that way. And this is why the last time I was with you, I led, led you in this confession, which to me is perhaps one of the strongest confessions of faith that anybody can make. One of the, a confession that I would say requires more faith than just about anything. So I want to lead you in it again. And I want you to say this after me if you believe it. Say this, I am, I am the, righteousness of God the righteousness of God in Christ. In now, why is it that confession requires so much faith? You want to know why? It's because you have eyes. And you can see everything that's wrong with you. You know you so well. And you can see every fault. You can see every flaw. You were there when you sinned. Like right there. You were an eyewitness to what you did wrong. You were a first-hand witness to the sin, to the mistake, to the flaw, to the mess up, and maybe it was one of those things you had done a thousand times before, and you see all of that. That's why it requires so much faith for you to see all of that and still say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Because you can see that. That's what this whole chapter, and even beginning in the chapter before this, is all about. The Spirit of God speaking through Paul is helping us recognize the difference between things that are seen and things that are unseen. I want you to back up into chapter 4 and look towards the end of that chapter in verse 17. He said, we do not lose heart. You could say, we don't give up, we don't quit even though our outward man. What is the outward man? That's the part you can see. Our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man. What's the inward man? Well, if the outward man is the part you can see, the inward man is the part you can't see. The inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen. We do not look at the things which are seen. We do not look at the things which are seen. Now, every time he says we, 
he is delineating between us and them. Who is us? Us is the born-again child of God. Us is the new creation that he's getting ready to talk about. Us is the household of faith. Us, we, this is who we are, and there is a difference between us and them. There's a massive difference between those who know God and love God and those who don't know him, don't love him, don't want anything to do with him. As a matter of fact, that is the biggest difference that could possibly exist between two human beings. The biggest differences between us are not skin tone. The biggest differences between us are not where we're from, nationality, families we were born into or not born into. The biggest differences between us are not socioeconomic. They're not financial differences. And yet our enemy is working overtime right now in this world trying to magnify all these differences and trying to get people to believe that these are the big differences well, you're this color and you're that shade, so that's a massive difference between you. You're this gender and you're that one and you're, well, we're not quite sure. He's tried to magnify all these major differences. These are not the big differences. The biggest difference that could possibly exist between two human beings is one knows God and one doesn't. That's who he's talking about. We. We. And he said, we live different. We do not look at the things that are seen. Now, this is perhaps one of the biggest challenges to your life and walk of faith. Because what you can see can be so distracting. It can be in your face all the time. But we don't look at it. We don't look at what is seen. That's how I can stand here today and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Even though I know what I did, I was there when I did it, and I was there when I did it again, and I did it again, and I did it again. And I know every fault, and I know every flaw. I was there, I've seen it all, but I ain't looking at the things that are seen. I'm looking at what's unseen. And because of that, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. He goes on. He says, we don't look at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. That's what we're looking at. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now this flows right into chapter five where we began, but look at verse one. He's still talking about things you can see, things you can't see. He says, we know that if our earthly house, this tent, He's referring to this physical body that you and I live in. We know if this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's talking about the body you can see and the body you can't see. I can see, looking across this room right now, the tent that you're living in. I can see it. It's physical. It's material. I can see it. We do have another one, however. We have a house made by God. Now you don't see it yet. But he says in verse 2, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. That's what the groaning's about. I, I laugh at myself now as I'm a little deeper into my 40s, which I have thoroughly enjoyed. I'm 43 at this point. Um, 
It's the oldest I've ever been. <laughs> Never been this old before. And I'm enjoying it, doing everything I can to get healthier, stronger all the time. I do hear myself making sounds I never made before. Do I have any other honest men in here who know exactly what I'm talking about? I never made a sound when sitting down before. Now, just that simple act comes with all kinds of, eh, oh, mm. I call them old man sounds. And we tend to groan, don't we? Just like he said, we groan. As these bodies, these physical tents get older and older, well, we groan. But here's what you and I need to understand as believers. We're not groaning because these things are getting older. He says it's a longing. It's a longing for that body that God made for us. So I'm going to go with that. That's what I'm going with. These aren't old man sounds. These are just, God, give me that new body. He said in verse 3, if indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. That's good news. For we, I'm thankful for clothes, y'all. I'm so grateful. Just cover all kinds of stuff. For we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed. It's not that I want to die and get rid of this thing. I just want to be, he said, further clothed. That mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. All of this is talking about the difference between what you can see, what you can't see. So we are always confident, verse 6, knowing that while we are at home in the body, in what you can see, we are absent from the Lord. While we're in this world where we see these things, we're not in that world where we see Him. He's still unseen to us. So what's the answer to this? Verse 7. We walk by faith and not by what you can see. So that right there shows you that the walk of faith is learning to see what you can't see. Learning to look at things that are unseen. Now skip down to verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're of sound mind, it's for you. I want you to notice this today. Verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. If you're taking notes, making notes, I want you to draw your attention to this word judge. We judge thus. What do we judge? That if one died for all, then all died he says, this is how we judge. Now, this word judge just means to decide. And he said, what we've decided is that if one, talking about Jesus, died for all, then all died. But notice what he said before that. The love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. Why don't you say it? The love of Christ, love of Christ compels, me. compels me. Now the King James uses a different word. It uses the word constrains or constraineth. The love of Christ constrains me. Here you see the love of Christ compels me. 
It's an interesting word, especially when you discover it gets translated those two different ways because they, they really sound like different things. To be compelled means to be urged on. It, it, to me, it means motivated to act, to do something. Constrained, though, has the idea of setting limitations where you don't act. It's the same word used in scriptures that talk about the huge crowds that gathered around Jesus, that thronged him in such a crowd that people couldn't even move. And at times there were those that were trampling each other. That Just a thick crowd like that. I don't know if you've ever experienced it. Disney World, uh, Walmart the day after Thanksgiving. The crowds, you can't move. It's, you, you are constrained. You, you want to go. You, you want to go down, down aisle six, but you can't because the crowd is constraining, limiting, stopping you. So you've got one word that talks about you being motivated to go, another word that talks about you not able to go, and yet it's the same thing. The love of Christ is doing both of those things. The love of Christ is motivating action, and the love of Christ is limiting action. The love of Christ motivates thinking and speaking. The love of Christ limits thinking and speaking. That's why other translations don't use compel or constrain. They use the word control. The love of Christ controls me. And he said in response to this, because I am Compelled, constrained, controlled by the love of God, this is how I judge. This is the decision I've come to. Why? Because of love. The decision I've come to is that if he died for all, all died. Bear, bear with me, stay, there. stay with this. Verse 15 again, if he died for all, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, or because of this love that compels, constrains, controls me, because I've decided that if Jesus died for all, all died. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, what's the flesh? That's the part you can see. What's he saying? Love won't let me look at you like that. Love won't let me, one translation says, evaluate you according to what I can see. Won't let me. Love says you can't go there, not in your thoughts not in your words, and not in your actions. It's constraining. It's, it's setting limitation. Because of love, I don't look at anyone according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, verse 17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. I'm seeing something, church, as we dig into this that I've not been quick enough to see. Even after spending years and years, my whole life, looking at these things and growing up around these things, we've taken that, that confession that I just led you in a moment ago. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And we talked about how much faith it takes. 
And how you have to make the decision, I'm not looking at what I can see. I'm not looking at my past. I'm not looking at my failures. I'm not looking at the mistakes I made a decade ago or 10 minutes ago. I'm looking at what I can't see. I am looking at what Jesus has done for me in the spirit. He's made me the righteousness of God in Christ. That's powerful. That's good. That's right. But when you take that one truth and you disconnect it from everything else he's talking about here, you miss out on really the heart of what he's saying. So I'm going to lead you in another confession. And this one, I think this one might require even more faith than the first one. And it's going to require you to look at the person sitting next to you. So go ahead. And say this after me. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Whoa. Whoa. Now why does that one require as much, if not more, faith than the first one? Same reason. Same reason. Because you can see Every mistake, every flaw, you may have been there depending on how close that person is to you. You may have been there when they made the mistake. You may have spent the last decade or two married to that person and got a front row view to the faults, the flaws, the missteps, the mistakes, the sins, the, the anger, the temper, the, huh? You may have seen any and all of it. But faith looks at them and says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.